1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we continue in our study through 1 Corinthians, last week we were entering into this section that started with verse 12, where Paul talks about right and wrong, ethics, how to live your life, how to know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And he elevated the discussion to say, it's not about rules. The whole idea isn't to live your life according to the rules, according to do's and don'ts. He said, everything's lawful for me. But he, he did his thinking that went way beyond just, is this okay or is, that, is this not okay? And as he talked to the Romans, there's a, there's a change that needs to happen, a renewing of your mind. What God wants to do isn't to take an objective command from the outside and tell us to do it. God wants to work inside our hearts, inside our lives, in a way that our lives just become a reflection of God working in us. And so Paul talked about how even though everything's lawful, everything isn't worth it. Everything isn't expedient or or, you know, sensible, or it has baggage, as we talked about last week. And, you know, he went on to say also there are some things that just enslave you. There are some things that take control of you, and as a result, those are the kinds of things that ought to be rejected. He talked about God's power to be able to make the changes in our lives that are going to make our lives reflect Him better. And and our bodies to function the way they're supposed to. And now, beginning with verse 15, he goes into a little greater detail about the connection between body and spirit. And this is something, I think these verses that we're going to look at this morning, verses 15 through 20 in 1 Corinthians 6, are some of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. There isn't any way that I can do justice to these verses. So we're going to go through them and talk about them a bit. And then I'm going to encourage you sometime this week to maybe meditate on these further and realize that there's so much more that God wants to to show us from the truths that are in here because this is really heavy, profound stuff. But it's also something that involves the very central core of who we are. In trying to figure out who we are so often throughout history, philosophically, man has tried to analyze body and spirit, or body, soul, and spirit, for those who are trichotomous as opposed to dichotomous. Trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? My body is this organism, it's a machine, in a way. It works in a way, but yet I realize the real me or part of me is something more than that. It's the immaterial part of me, the part that will live on. You realize this when you learn that our bodies are constantly dying and also replicating themselves so that there isn't one cell of my body that exists now that was the same as when I was a little kid. And yet, it's still me. My awareness, my consciousness, that goes on and continues even though my body is changing. And those of us who are Christians believe that for all of eternity, we're going to be alive and we're going to be who we are. God is going to resurrect 
not just our spirit, but our bodies as well, giving us a, a new body, but a body that's certainly related to the body that we have now, but a much more improved version of it, a much more uh, appropriate version to who we are. But throughout history, people have tried to analyze the relationship between body and spirit. And the fact is, though we can compartmentalize the two, it's not easy to make a division between the two. So often there are things that happen that we would swear would be a spiritual thing, and then we find out really it was a physical thing. And doctors continue to discover that connection between our mind, our soul, our spirit, and our bodies, and how hard it is to divide between them. Now, historically, we tend to feel more comfortable dividing the two. We tend to like to think of them as separate compartments, if you will, because it just makes sense that way. And it's a lot easier for me to believe that I am a good guy is just my body that's messed up. You know, I want to do good things, but my body, I'm just dragging it along, and it's at fault, it's the problem. So philosophically, there have always been ways of trying to understand this interrelationship between the body and the spirit, and often it ends up being like Gnosticism, whereby the body is bad, the spirit is good. Gnostic Christians who came along about the second century AD decided that Jesus, since he was good, he didn't have a body. He must not have had physical existence. And so they said that when he walked on the sand, he didn't leave footprints. When he stood in the sun, he didn't cast a shadow. As if spiritual is good and body is bad. There were other people who tried to intermingle the two, the the Epicureans were those who wanted to deliver us from the, from the limitations of the body. And therefore, what they taught was a, was a way of relating to reality whereby an Epicurean would say, you need to live a real conservative lifestyle. Don't eat a lot, even if you have a lot, because then it's going to hurt that much more when you can't eat later. The Epicureans taught that you shouldn't indulge in, in physical pleasure because, well, sometime you might not have the opportunity for that pleasure, and then you would be miserable. The Epicureans wanted to protect themselves from hurt, protect themselves from fear, and things like that, as opposed to, and a lot of times people talk about the Epicureans as if they were hedonists, but hedonism was a whole other thing where it's like, get as much of the gusto as you can while you have the opportunity. What you need to do is live to fulfill your body, because that's really all you are, is just body. And there are a lot of hedonists that are out there today. Stoics were of a little different philosophical bent, who believed that as the body and spirit were separate, that what you needed to do was to be as affected by the body as little as possible. So ignore pleasure, ignore pain, and try to find a deeper spiritual existence. And that kind of thinking goes on to this day to a great extent, where people believe that if we can get past this body, we can enter into a spiritual realm. There are some people who think that when we go to heaven, we're going to not be in bodies anymore. We're going to be just in our spirits, floating around, having this beautiful spiritual existence. But 
When we look at what the Bible says, it's amazing how often the Bible emphasizes the importance of the body and the goodness of the body, the fact that the body is, is, the, is the highest expression of God's creative acts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet the Bible doesn't separate body and spirit in terms of here's body over here and here's spirit, but it emphasizes the integration of the two. The fact that in our bodies, it's where our spirits have the greatest expression. And, you know, of course, Jesus came on that first Christmas day, the incarnation. The big event was that Jesus, God, became flesh. As John described it in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation, what an amazing thing that God took on human flesh. And I believe that Jesus is in a body that's, that's physical to this day and will always be, will remain forever, completely God and completely man. So there's no place for discarding the flesh or saying, let's just forget the flesh and let's just live in the spiritual realm. Sometimes the Bible refers to the flesh as being the sinful part of us and walking by the Spirit as being led by the Spirit. But that's not designed to teach that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. In fact, the worst things that there are are spiritual things and spiritual beings. The, the devil and his angels are not physical. They are simply spirits. And as a result, they're the worst thing out there. Now, as we look at beginning with verse 15, let's look through these verses first, and then we'll come back and make a few observations. He, Paul starts out in a way that he does several places throughout this chapter. Do you not know? He's saying, I can't believe you guys don't get this. This is so important, and you don't understand it. I can tell by the way you live. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He starts out by saying, do you understand that your bodies, that is your physical being, who you are physically that you can touch and feel, do you understand that they're members of Christ? They're connected to him? Paul spends a lot of time talking about the body of Christ and how we as those who have accepted Jesus Christ have been connected to him in a way that involves our physical existence, not just spiritually connected, but that our bodies are connected to Jesus. And whether or not we understand this and what we do with it has a huge impact on how we are to live our lives. Because if I think of my body as being just completely disassociated from Jesus, 
then how committed am I going to be to use that body in the way that he tells me to do it? But Paul here uses a, an illustration, an analogy that's so shocking that it, it still, as I look at it, disturbs me. And even speaking about it makes me a bit uncomfortable. But he does it, and God, the Holy Spirit, breathed this passage, and so it's important for us to get what he's talking about. I don't want to be one of those who goes, no, I don't know this, because he says, don't you know? And here's where he goes, this business of the prostitute and everything. But what he is referring to is the fact that throughout the Bible, from Genesis, it talks about a man and a woman the two becoming one, the two joining together and becoming one flesh. And from looking at this passage, we get some insights into that's a much bigger deal than perhaps we thought. So often when we talk about marriage, we talk about, oh, the two become one, and we think of it in more or less a spiritual connection, that somehow, wow, two people start to live with an awareness of each other, and what a beautiful, mystical union that's involved. But Paul here, with this literal discussion, lets us know that, no, it's, it's more than just that. This gets to the very essence of who we are physically. See, God created the whole way in which a man and a woman can interact physically, in which a man and a woman will connect physically in a way that it affects you greater than anything else that you can ever experience or go through. And at that connection, at its root, flows forth out of that who we are, who we become, our families are formed, life springs forth from that. At the source of that becomes the source of all human existence. It comes because a man and a woman at one point originally connected in a powerful and a unique way. And ever since then, it's so much of what drives us as a people. It's what allows us, it's what allows us to continue to reproduce and to, well, it's behind most of the motivation of an awful lot of what we do. If it were not for that desire to connect in a physical way, I know I can speak for the men, there's a lot of things we wouldn't do (laughs) because that connection is so profound and powerful, but that connection is more than just a physical connection. That connection is a spiritual connection as well. And it's something that I think so often we marginalize. And that's why so often we are willing to abuse it. We're willing to to belittle it and to not appreciate what it really is. It's not only the source of all life, really, but it's also the place of the deepest connection. And God designed it specifically for the purpose of teaching us how intimate he wants to be with us, how close he wants to be to us. And so by creating us with this capacity to connect, he says, this is not just about you. This isn't just about reproduction. This isn't just about intimacy and closeness. This is about me and you. And This physical union is not just a picture of some deeper, beautiful spiritual union. It is 
connected spiritually in a way that's powerful. And here, Paul takes that picture and again, then connects it to a person going in and having a cheap physical relationship with a prostitute, which is shocking enough, but then he refers to this person who's, who's cheapening this beautiful act that God invented, and he says, and when you do that, in that cheap way, you're becoming one. The two become one flesh. Oh, it's one thing for us to think of, oh, two people that God has brought together and they love each other and they love God and they put on a fancy dress and, oh, and then there's the honeymoon and the two become one. Oh, you know, and you hear the music playing. And Paul goes, you know what? When you allow yourself to be involved physically with anyone, the two of you are connecting in a way that you never could have expected. It's a lot deeper. It's a lot more powerful than you realize. And then he says, and this is the, the hardest part of it really is, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Ooh, that's just, Paul, are you sure? Is this really the best example you can come up with? Is this really the best analogy that you can form? that taking a, an illicit union of the worst sort and saying that the two are becoming one and then saying that Jesus wants to be one with us, is joined with us in that way, well, that's exactly what he says. And if we don't understand that, then we won't understand really in a lot of ways what the issue is when God makes certain commandments as far as how we are to interrelate, when God tells us that we need to honor commitments, when he teaches us that, hey, two people joining together is a lot more than just two bodies getting together. And what could be more of just a simply physical act than a person who pays someone for intimacy? You don't even want to call it intimacy. There's nothing intimate about it. I just use that as a euphemism for a lot of other words that would be much less appropriate. But he goes, no, even at, at, its, at its lowest form, you don't understand. There's something spiritual that happens when you indulge in this act that was created for a very high purpose. And when you allow yourself to use your body or to use someone else's body in a way that is low. You're bringing Jesus into that if you're his child. See, you have become connected with him, and now that connection is not something that you can rip away. He's hanging on to you. Your connection with him is eternal, and now you take him into every other relationship that you form, every other connection that happens, and it's why God spends so much time talking about this. It's not that he thinks that, that sex is dirty or that, oh, you know, this is way. No, he's going, I created something that is designed to show how close I want to be with you. And we have that closeness. I'm, uh, you've accepted me into your very heart and soul and life, and, and you are a part of me, and I'm a part of you. 
And when you go somewhere, you're taking me with you in a much deeper way than the old thing of, you know, well, remember when you go into the movies, you're taking Jesus into the movie and he's watching the same movie that you're watching. Okay. But Paul digs a lot deeper and says, no, even when you cheapen this act that is designed to be so such a treasured, important part of life, you're taking him with you. It's why over in Matthew, when they questioned Jesus, Jesus was questioned a lot about divorce and adultery and things like that. And Jesus made the statement. They had their rules as to there were certain ways in which you could get a divorce and, and then other ways that you weren't supposed to. And so often we think of it as simply, well, if there's adultery, you can get a divorce. They had a better system. If there was adultery, they could kill you. But, but in Jesus talking about it, he said, if you, for whatever reason, you discard your spouse in order to go with someone else, he says, really what you're doing is causing your spouse to commit adultery. Now, we look at that and go, does that even make sense? How can what I do make my spouse commit adultery. I'm not forcing them to do anything. How can they be guilty based on what I do? Well, again, the point is, once you are joined to someone else, then everything that you do, they are involved in. And so if you choose to turn your back on your spouse and violate those vows that you made and you go off in some tawdry, gross sin, you're taking them with you. You're dragging them with you and you're dragging Jesus with you. And they're not guilty any more than Jesus is guilty, but you are adulterating the relationship that you have with them. Now, Sometimes you can't do anything about it. Somebody's just insisting, I'm going to divorce you. And when someone's heart is so hard that they won't be swayed, there are times, and Jesus said later on in Matthew, Moses gave divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But he said, that's not the way it was supposed to work. What was supposed to happen is two people see each other and they fall in love and they're drawn together and they have this physical joining together and they're members one of another and there's this connection and through that connection they also discover this intimate relationship with with God and here it's this beautiful picture of God's love for his people and that's the way it's supposed to happen. Anything other than that is defiling the picture that he wants to form. Sometimes it's going to be defiled. Many of you, I'm sure, are in situations where this has already happened, maybe with you as an offending party, maybe with you as a completely innocent victim, if there is such a thing. But what Jesus is saying is, you're pulling me into everything that you do because you're my child and I'm connected to you intimately. And as a result, everything that you're doing affects that relationship. And so as a result, think about that. And if you discover that closeness that you have with God, if you can think about being intimate with God in a way that's not embarrassing, it's beautiful, then you realize, boy, I want my life to be lived like that, with that kind of love, with that kind of closeness. I want it to reflect that. He goes on to say, 
verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Kind of a funny thing to just plop right in the middle of all of these high concepts of intimacy and closeness and faithfulness and connection. And then he goes, oh, by the way, when you think you want to do something that's wrong morally, when you want to fall into following after you're being governed by your glands, he goes, run away. Paul tells Timothy this, flee fornication. I think there are so many times when we think that we can control our body with our spirit. You know, we, we think that, well, if I pray enough, I'm not going to be tempted to, to cheat. I'm not going to be tempted to get drawn into a relationship that's not right. What I need is a deep devotional life for that to happen. But you know what? You can do all the praying you want. You can, you can have as great of a wonderful relationship with God as you want, but there are times when you've just got to get your body out of there. There are times when, in a very practical way, you just have to go, I know what my body is capable of, and I'm moving it right now. Joseph, a deeply spiritual man who heard things, who could interpret dreams, was just an amazing guy. When Potiphar's wife was hitting on him and then grabbed him and said, come to bed with me, he ran away, left his coat in her hands, knowing that by his running he would be in trouble because she was the type of person who would end up, as she did, having him thrown into prison. And yet he chose, rather than to allow his body to be corrupted, to do what's wrong for the body to do, because of the spiritual ramifications of a bodily decision, he decided that he would rather run away and then take the consequences rather than to compromise. And we need to understand this. This is not just a, oh, body's over here, spirit's over here. That's why there are so many people who love God, who some of them who are pastors or really good people, and man, can they preach about morality. And then all of a sudden you hear, oh, my goodness, they fell, this person I looked up to. Look what they did. And you start to think, were they always that way? Did they ever believe? Because we think somehow, oh no, if you just have a deep enough commitment, then your body is not going to get into these situations. I have news for you. It can. And it doesn't mean your spirit wasn't right. It means you didn't integrate your body and your spirit enough to go, my spirit's telling my body to run. We have to get out of situations that provide the temptation that will suck us down because we can't separate body and spirit. And when we do in our thinking, it ends up the body will drag us down and the spirit will go along for the ride. And it makes a huge and an ugly mess when that happens. And so Paul says, learn to run. I always say it's kind of like when, when you're trying to be on a diet. Sometimes you just get your body away from the temptation. You don't have the food that you don't want to eat there in your house just in case somebody comes over. You know, and you don't decide, you know, after church, I really want a fellowship, but I've really been trying not to eat those donuts, and they're so good. But, you know, still, let's face it, the best fellowship is right next to that table. <laughs> so I'm going to go, and I do this. Today I didn't even go out there, but usually I'll go, okay, I'll go get a donut hole. I mean, a donut hole can't have any calories. And... <laughs> 
you pop it in. The best thing to do is to get yourself so busy or decide to fellowship in the hall or in here or somewhere else if you really don't want to eat a donut. Now, I don't want to make anyone not enjoy their donut. <laughs> Go ahead and eat them with my blessing. But the fact is, when it comes to what our bodies tell us to do, if we're not integrating body and spirit, and sometimes that means body needs to take the lead and run, get out of the situation. For some of you, you have relationships right now, maybe at work or in your neighborhood with some friends or whatever, and you know, deep down inside, you know this relationship could head into a bad place. This probably isn't a good thing. Oh, it's not sinful at this point. Well, forget about whether it's sinful or not. Is it a potentially damaging thing that may cause you to compromise? then you need to make the move. You need to draw the line. You need to cut bait and flee. Get out of there. Move your body, and you know maybe your spirit's still going to be dreaming, but your body's not going to be getting you into the kind of mess that will make an illicit connection that will just defile the very idea that God had in mind when he invented intimacy. So he says, flee sexual immorality, Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So he says, you know, all sins are sins. They're all bad. They're all destructive. They all do damage. But he said, there are certain sins that are involved in something much deeper than that. And especially when there's a sin that is in some way selling out this this holy and revered part of life and sexuality, then that's a sin. It's not that God looks at it and sees it as worse, but it's that it is affecting you at your very base, at the very most central part of you. And as a result, it has more potential to destroy you than a lot of other sins. And this is why sins in some of these areas become or talked about so much and warned about so much and why they have such potential to drag people down because it's at a part of you that you may think and you may listen to society and think that oh it's just a physical thing it's never just a physical thing never it is affecting you to sin in this area to violate god's principles in this area in a way that you really can't fathom it's, a, it's at a, the place of deepest connection, and as a result, needs to be taken seriously, as he says here. In verse 19, and this is kind of the center of it, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We've heard that a lot. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of times we think of that as meaning, yep, the Holy Spirit's inside me, therefore I'm his house. Yep, he's in here. Almost as if it says, you know, your body is the pup tent of the Holy Spirit. Or your body is the condo of the Holy Spirit. Or the house of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that. It says it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. What was a temple? Well, they would know what the temple meant. The temple was something that was a place where God meets up with people, 
where God connects with people in a deep and a profound way. For the children of Israel, as they had the temple, if things were going well, the glory of God showed up. And you could see that magnificent glory. On the other hand, if they blew it too bad, the glory would leave. The glory departed from the holy of holies. And now you had the feeling of, man, the house is here, but the occupant's gone. Well, in the same way, our bodies, our physical bodies, are created to, have, to be the place where God meets man. He meets you in your body. It's a temple. It's a holy place. But not only that, he meets you in your body, but he also will meet other people through your body. And you will meet him through other people's bodies. If I didn't have my physical body, I wouldn't be able to hear what God has to say. I wouldn't be able to see his word and comprehend it. I also wouldn't be able to really express love to someone else as he wants me to. In so many ways, I mean, how could you exist? Every once in a while, somebody makes a movie of somebody who's already dead, and they come back, and they're like a ghost, and they can see everybody, but they can't touch them. And it's, it's a fascinating concept for people to have. What would it be like if you were here, but people couldn't see you? Or they could see you, but they couldn't touch you or whatever. And it's something that haunts us when we think about it a whole lot. Because so much a part of who we are, what life means to us, has to do with our ability to connect. And that happens through the body. And so we have that opportunity to use our body as a, as a conduit by which God can touch people. And God chooses to use our bodies to allow us to touch other people through their bodies and ultimately for people to be in contact with God. And so he says, realize your body is something special. If you don't appreciate it, if you don't value it, if you don't treat it as something that's holy and important, you cheapen it, then an opportunity is lost for a connection between God and people. I've realized this over the last few months as I've been dealing with the physical challenges of having a neck that's messed up. I, I thought, you know, boy, sometimes it'd be nice to have some kind of injury or illness that would just cause me to just have to lay there because it would be such a great opportunity to hear from God, to, to pray and to read his word and just to fellowship with him. And you hear stories about people who claim that you know, man, when I was in a coma, that was the greatest time with God. But for me, it didn't work that way. It really stunk. It was, it was all the time I was laid up. It was not a good time with God. And think of me as unspiritual or something. Maybe I am. But for me, it was really hard to pray, hard to read my Bible, hard to make those connections because my body's not working right. I, now I really appreciate it. And I go, you know, I want to take better care of myself because I realize when my body starts to shut down, there's a spiritual connection that is lost as well. Connection with other people, connection with God. And I appreciate more after having limitations. Boy, the body, it really is something that's extremely valuable. And I think a lot of times we treat it like it's a throwaway. 
we get down on our bodies. We don't like our, the image of our bodies or we don't take care of our bodies. And Paul goes, that's when you start to lose that connection. When you, when you lose a sense of the, the amazing glory of your body, the amazing potential and power behind what it is to be fearfully and wonderfully made, and then losing that ability to reach out and to touch other people and to be members of his body, to function the way he wants them to. I remember one time, I'll never forget it, my brother was going through a really hard time, Steve was, and it was one of those things where over time, you know, when you're having a rough time, people just kind of keep their distance and don't know what to say, and he had kind of been away and not being around people too much, but he came to one of our high school softball games and, and with me, and afterwards, there was a guy, Josh Saul, who was a big, huge kid, just a, a great kid who was a great wrestler and football player at our school, and, and Josh saw Steve, and he went over and hugged Steve, and Josh could hug you like nobody else could hug you. And I remember afterwards, as we were driving home, Steve was just going, he goes, Dave, tell Josh, he will have no idea how much that hug meant to me. Because other people weren't doing it, and here one person going, I got this big body, I'll use it for something, I'm going to embrace you. And I remember how that like kept Steve going through a really rough time. And he referred back to it sometimes. And how many of you can think back to a time when somebody in a, in a simple fleshly way reached out and touched you and made a difference? Maybe something kind of silly and yet it was God used it to make that connection. That's what temples are supposed to do. And what do we do? We abuse our temple. We don't realize that if I don't take care of myself, my days will be shortened. My capacity to be used by God in a connective way might be cut off completely. And we act like, eh, no big deal. Doesn't matter. Hey, you know, I want to use this temple in the most effective way possible to represent God. As long as he will give me to do it. Now, if he chooses to take me home today, I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to be in heaven going, oh, I wanted to live longer. But at the same time, I don't want to take a responsibility on myself to say, I'm going to be sloppy with this temple. And so it quits working. Big deal. It is a big deal. And when we begin to understand the incredible honor that we have to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, it changes so much of what we do. You know, so many of the things that everybody's harping on all the time and the sins that everyone's pointing out, you know, pointing fingers at. I, you know, I think of things like homosexuality that, you know, yeah, God's word says clearly this is a sin, it's wrong, it's damaging, it hurts you. And yet, have we ever got past that to say what causes someone to retreat to the comfort of a relationship rather than to be able to say there's something deeper that God has for me. There's something much more valuable than this. So often we fall into certain patterns of behavior because we simply don't understand how much better things God has for us. And that's his heart. And finally, as he says here, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is where body and spirit come together. They're both bought and paid for. Jesus Christ gave his life to redeem your body and your spirit. And he says, I can be glorified through the way your body and spirit interact, through the way you keep your commitments maritally, through the way that you reach out to people socially, through the way that you allow yourself to commit yourself to to spiritually hold people up in prayer, to actually do that, not just to talk about it, but to use your body as a weapon for spiritual warfare in prayer. He said, glorify God. I own you. I paid for you. And if you can use your body as a way to bring glory to me, then you will be a vehicle that will help other people to discover that glory within themselves, to enter into a relationship themselves. There are people all around us, some of them are in this room probably, who have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you know how they're going to decide whether God is for them or not? By the way, we glorify God with our bodies and our spirits. And they're watching, they're looking, they're wondering, could it be possible that there's a God out there who really cares about me, who wants to be connected to me? And they're looking at us. Don't take that lightly. Don't cheapen it. Don't compromise in ways where we think it doesn't really matter that much. It does matter. There are people who will decide on whether or not God is good based on whether or not we glorify him by the way we value who he has made us, by the way we decide. My body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body, something that can glorify God. An opportunity within my body to have a a beautiful connection and interaction with God and with others. The body is where he meets us. The body is what he calls us. He wants us to be his body. Amazing. And I don't think, I mean, you could spend the rest of your life studying these verses, and I don't think you'd even scratch the surface as to the profundity of these truths, as to how amazing it is. But the more you study it, the more you'll realize what a gift the body is, what a gift the spirit is how good God is. There's nothing cheap about him. Let's pray.